0: It's
1: almost the weekend. weekend. <laughs> How you doing, man? Uh, I am good. I'm uh, all cozy. I got a blanket. I got a cup of tea. I got that lemon and ginger soothing my throat, my juicy wet gamer throat. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. I'm doing real well. Uh, shit, dude. I, I've been playing a video game that I love and I want to talk about it, but I don't want to talk about it too much because a lot of what I loved about it is how weird and surprising it was. Oh, okay.
0: Um, right.
1: But this is like off the back of you playing Resident Evil 4. I know. Because yeah, yeah. you, you picked that up and when you were gushing, and you know how I love a gush session, <laughs> um, I was just like, man... That sounds so good, and I love that Joe's enjoying it. I want to feel that way, and like a couple of days later, I started feeling that way immediately. Um, About a different so, game, a different game. Okay. Cool. So, so I talked last week. I started Inscription. Oh yes, yes. And, dude, this week I finished Inscription, and nice. that shit was unfucking believable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy, isn't it? Oh my god, have you finished it? Um, I so. Y- no,
0: I haven't personally finished playing it. I got up to a certain point where I was like, okay, I think I'm I'm done playing this
1: game. I'm going to mm-hmm. watch someone else finish it. And so right. I, watched, I watched a, a playthrough. Right, sweet. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really want to talk about what happens past that, like, original experience that I yeah. talked about last week where you're yeah. in this cabin with this creature and it teaches you how to play this card game and the card game is awesome and you play the card game. And, like, I mean, just to keep it simple, I thought that was going to be the game, right? And ah, yes, yes. The game is so much more than that, and it just, like, kept surprising me. And one of the things that I loved the most was how easy it was, but how compelling it was. I... Mm haven't really experienced that a lot before you know usually the difficulty for me is where I find a lot of the pleasure in playing a video game um and like this for the most part felt easy the whole time and I just thought it was fun and entertaining the whole time as well like it was a really nifty balance and uh yeah I gotta give kudos for that yeah yeah so
0: you felt like a little maybe too powerful through the whole thing, or you felt, like, just powerful enough to continue having fun?
1: Um, oh, I think... I think I definitely felt too powerful through mm. the whole thing because there are a lot of um mechanics that the game gives you when it comes to, like, upgrading your cards and duplicating your most powerful cards yeah. and, like... Yeah, I mean, c- coming from, like, whatever it is, 3,000 hours of Hearthstone Slays, and, like, And Slay the Spire sl- as well. Yeah, so, yeah. like, uh, I... Yeah, I, I just blitzed through it as a card game, but like because the story was so interesting and like I wanted to see what happened next, I like I was totally cool. I was totally mm. cool feeling overpowered and just like blasting through all these characters. Um but yeah, it was man, it was a ride and uh yeah, that switch port that switch port runs pretty pretty friggin' well. So, uh, That's good. Yeah, um, if y'all are out there with your portability sh- Shazam going on, then a uh, big recommend from me for inscriptions. Yeah, maybe
0: we should do a sealed
1: section and um, I don't know, maybe next week's episode we can go into it once you've had some time to digest. Yeah, um, And we can talk well, about it. Now that I've finished, they they recently released a mod like oh. that's that's available on, on the main game, even on Switch. Um, and it's yeah. just like a more balanced version of right. the the first card game, and it's awesome because you just get to do like, you know, slay the spire runs. Yeah. Um, and it is a bit more balanced. Like it, you are less overpowered. Yeah. Um, yep. But I still think of all the card games I played, it is the easiest by a long shot
0: yeah yeah if if you sort of get some lucky breaks in in that one you really feel the the power (laughs) totally Uh, yeah yeah um the 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 creator uh daniel
1: mullins he's got another game called pony island yeah so this is one i've heard of like for Mm. me inscription was just the only thing i knew about it is that you said i had to play it like a year ago but um Pony Island I had heard about because it was one of those games that, like, fucks with your PC files or some shit.
0: Something like that, yeah. He does the same or similar stuff that that he does in Inscription where it's like, what is this exactly? You know, Mm. it sort of Mm -hmm. flips itself or inside out kind of. um, Apparently, I haven't played Pony Island, but I've been told I should play it.
1: Right. Okay. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's a Game Club game. Um it could be, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be really interested to go back and, and try that and like yeah, I love I love kind of tracking a developer and going through the games they've made and kind of seeing the DNA for like their really successful games. Um yeah. I imagine we'll be talking quite a bit about that next week, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. yeah there's other games here daniel mullins games he's 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 self-published um which is interesting he's he's got another game called the hex and another one called dread x collection Two. <laughs> oh my god that's alluring uh, I, love
1: uh, it. I love a title like that
0: the front cover has an, a skeleton playing a trumpet and another one dousing itself in wine from a, a golden crusted um goblet oh my god uh, and cthulhu looms large in the distance it's basically my favorite picture i've seen in a long time <laughs> um go check out Dreadx x collection 2 what, what, ti- <laughs> what a title <laughs> i feel like i've just been spoken to directly through this image what a what a situation um anyway that's good i'm so glad you enjoyed uh inscription yeah uh, you came to it a year late which i don't care about at all i'm so glad you got to it um <laughs> And yeah, I can't wait to talk more about it next week, maybe. Um, And uh, we'll do like
1: a little spoilery section of the the pod and we can go deep on it. That'd be, that'd be really cool. And yeah, just another game to throw on the epic pile that you've recommended me that I just loved the shit out of, you know, like, man, I feel like a lot of my favorite games come from your recommendations. So that's, that's just huge. That's lovely.
0: That's lovely. Alrighty. Well, hell yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, my week's been pretty good. Dude, I finished Resident Evil 4 Remake. Yeah, so tell us about it. Uh, um, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I said a lot of what I loved about that game last week. Um, yeah. The, there's some sections in that game which are a little bit on the tricky side or like not well-realized side. I don't know how they played in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, like I never got up to there, but there's a certain section um, when you're dealing with um maybe i shouldn't say what exactly what you're dealing with but it's it feels a little bit like they didn't play test it as much as they play tested obviously the rest of the game
1: oh um, okay
0: so yeah. is this just like a balance issue or i think it's a, like a design issue like the level itself right. kind of just like maybe could have done without a couple of these features that they decided to put in there mm-hmm. um, and maybe tried to make it just a little bit easy. Like you can keep the core conceit of it, but just make it like a little bit less unfair. <laughs> mm, right, I see. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I remember saying out loud, this is the worst part of this game. <laughs> oh no. Uh, but no, other than that, it's it's been it was fantastic. There's all sorts of stuff um that happens late game that really surprised me, had mm-hmm. me genuinely screaming out loud for some of the spooks that were going on. Oh, um, sick. There was a cool a couple of cool little realizations that i had about some stuff that i hadn't heard about through or seen in videos which i thought was good and great um right. but i hadn't been spoiled for that stuff yeah um, the pace that i i think i mentioned a little bit last week about the pace but i just want to touch on it again is just fantastic um mm. it doesn't doesn't slow down keeps the keeps the pace up for the whole thing um the characters are cool um and weird and different and i mean it's it's capcom so you got a little bit of the fan servicey stuff going on but it goes both ways it's not just the ladies it's the boys you can you can dress leon up in all sorts of ridiculously crop toppy um alluring (laughs) campy goodness which is so good hell Um, yeah yeah and uh and yeah go go please Four remake um the, the game really had me going um, oh. I'm i'm so glad i finished it i kind of want to go back around but i always say
1: that i always say i'm going to go back in and just never do so <laughs> there's just so many games out there I know, too many games um if you maybe like adjacent to going back around but would you be interested in picking up the original one again just to kind of see the differences yeah maybe that's the way to go pick
0: up my old save from the old original resident evil four and mm have another go um yeah that's actually a cool idea just so I
1: can play spot the difference a little bit yeah I don't know if it's an old wives tale um or whatever the politically correct phrase for that thing is but like isn't the Wii port for Resident Evil 4 supposed to be really good yeah it is
0: yeah (laughs) because the aiming is like using the um you know Wiimote
1: aiming at the tv style stuff Right, right. Oh, actually, you know what you could do? Mm. Um I hear the Quest 2 port is amazing oh. for Resident Ooh. Evil 4. You could play it in VR. Shit.
0: Yeah, I've still got your Quest 2 sitting up mm. there. Yeah, man. I'm I'm keen. I'm keen. Yeah. That, that might could be, be the, the way to go. Yeah. Um if it's I, I it the thing I kept thinking while I was playing it was like is this, does all of this happen in the original? Cuz it gets crazy. <laughs> it gets really <laughs> like it just keeps one upping itself in all these ways. I remember fighting the first boss or the first major boss in, in the remake and thinking, damn, I hope this isn't the end of the game because, um, that would be a really short game, but it kind of makes sense for like this, you know, the size that games were back then, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, that was just the first boss of many. (laughs) I think I was in like chapter three or something. And there's like 15 chapters. Oh my God. It just kept going, just kept exploding outwards.
1: Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed that. I haven't been playing a whole lot else this week. Just, just finishing that one. Sick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just love when a game, a game, a game grabs you like that. Um uh, yeah. When a game grabs you like that, it's just such a good feeling. Um, especially like with our game club games. It's not like our game club games feel like homework or whatever, but they're just kind of in the back of my mind. Like, oh yeah, I have got to play. You know, I want to finish that, or I want to play a few more hours of that. But like. For you, Resident Evil. For me, when Inscription came up, I was just like, "Look, I'm only playing Inscription until this shit is done." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You get locked in. Yeah, well, hell yeah, dude. Um, look, this is going to be a bit of a wacky episode. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, right. the the video game news is trash this week. Oh, it's right. so tr- it's so trash that I don't have any. Oh um, no! <laughs> but I've got a, I've got a, um, you know, this wasn't due to lack of like time or lack of research or whatever. Uh, like I was just browsing through all the sites, you know, browsing by best of, most popular this week, all that crap, and there was just nothing that was that was worthwhile. Mm. Um, but I've talked on this pod before about these list friends I have, and um, I recently. Uh, finished watching all the movies from last year that I wanted to see. Um, and I've got a top 10 movies from 2022 that I can read through in lieu of the news. Do you amazing. accept? I do accept. I also have some bag chips. Do you want to do those first and then we can oh, do the list? 100%, yeah. If you've right. got something, that would be amazing. Because, man, I was looking and I was just like, <laughs> oh, this is like the best I could find was like some new game was launching with like a... F- frame rate that wasn't as good as it should be or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, So the two
0: bits of news I have, um, one's local. So we'll start with that. Um, Oh, cool. The game uh, by Summerfall Studios, Stray Gods, um, got an official release date trailer. Mm -hmm. Um, And wow, you know what? I don't have
1: the release date on hand. So, That's all right. uh Stray Gods coming out between sometime. The rest of time. <laughs> God,
0: God damn it. Hang on, hang on, hang on. August 3rd. Jesus Christ. What am I doing? Oh, God. Um, yeah, August 3rd. Um, all right. Stray Gods. Stray Gods. Go and go and snatch it up. This one's yeah, Summerfall Studios. They're a Melbourne game studio. Um, I don't know if you ever met my friend Ben, but he he's the art director there. And
1: um, yeah, that, I think I, I have once. Yeah, is he yeah. like a uh, real funny he, extroverted go-getter type dude? Yeah, yeah, that he yep. is. I remember Ben well. Dude was a legend. Is yeah. a legend. I just haven't seen him in a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In your memory. He was a legend. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: no, he yeah, uh, he's great. Of Benjamin um and yeah I worked on this game a long time ago when it was a very different thing when I was freelancing and so I have a strong connection to the team or the the original crew that was there who are still there mostly um but there's heaps of other folks working there now as well which is really cool um and it's been yeah just a long time in the in the making originally this game was called Chorus I don't remember if you know that but it was called Chorus okay and um, they had to change the name because another game came out called Chorus which was like
1: a flying game that's oh, on Game
0: Pass.
1: Yeah, so every time I scroll past it, I think it says Chorves. because, yeah, because the V is a, yeah. It's like stylized. I reckon yeah. they could still get away from Chorus because that other game is definitely Chorves yeah it's they <laughs> i think just for seo
0: purposes i mean yeah, they, no. they put stray in their in the title of their name in their yeah i don't know whatever this, this probably they, they probably did that and then stray came out you know yeah um, and they were just like oh my god we're, we're in not too changing deep. it yeah yeah <laughs> we've gone too far down this particular rabbit hole
1: um
0: so yeah that's re- it's really cool go check out that trailer there's a lot of um great names attached to this game considering that it's made in melbourne there is, like, um, let's see here, starring... Oh, yeah, yeah. Hold on. <laughs> my computer's just exploding in front of my
1: eyes. Oh, God, no.
0: Um, well, Sorry, we got uh, Rahul Kull, uh, Allegra Clark, uh, Erica Ishii, um, Anthony Rapp, that, uh, Troy Baker, and um, a whole slew of others. Sick. And let's so look. what what type of game is it? It is a um they're saying it's a role-playing musical and so it's sort of like it's hard to describe what it's become compared to what it was but it's sort of like a visual novel where in the music you get to choose the flow
1: of the song oh wow that's intriguing yeah I, i feel like i'm gonna have to go and watch the trailer to get an idea of what the hell that actually looks like
0: yeah yeah well it's all 2d um and so it's sort of I don't really know how to describe it. Imagine, um, (laughs) like Mass Effect 2 dialogue, but with, uh, Greek gods and music instead of everything else.
1: Oh my God. That sounds incredible.
0: Yeah. So, uh, go check that one out. Next piece of bag chip is, uh, Sony cuts PSVR2 production by 20% uh, claims an industry insider as the
1: entire VR industry struggles. Oh, yeah, well, this is good. This is a provocative news piece because mm. I feel like you've always had pretty strong opinions about VR and I've just never known if it's the future or if it's a gimmick and, like, I know that amazing, or, you know, I've heard it's amazing that Half-Life Alex game came out, but mm. it seems like the video game wins for VR are really few and far between. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's... um. It's a big topic, and in reading this news story, I was like, maybe the topic this week should have been on VR.
1: But I alas, think, have we have we done VR before? Oh god, I feel like I feel like we have, Well, we have surely we? have. I, I don't know. I don't know. Forget it. Play on. Play on.
0: Um, I'm playing on whilst also <laughs> looking at the list. Of the <laughs> um (laughs) so uh there's no official sales figures for the psvr2 but this report from an insider claims that they only sold around 270,000 units in the space of a month um which apparently isn't good um who knows what numbers mean these days everything is (laughs) everything is nothing and nothing is everything (laughs)
1: yeah yeah Um, i i wonder if it's in part related to like the number of ps5s they're able to ship out the door because uh, like are we still having stock issues is it still an issue to get a ps5 i don't know every time i talk to someone about this i get
0: conflicting information it's like oh yeah no i just went and got one it was just super easy and then i like walk down the street and see people carrying like you know psvr from eb or jb or whatever boxes and be like yeah see there's no supply supply problem it's all there right. and then like the, the week after talk to someone and they're like i've been trying <laughs> for two and a half years <laughs> i've been on every list and they're just like you know weeping they can't get their playstation uh, so i don't know i don't know what the deal is right um there's some more notes here analyst uh ming chico was also noted uh as an apple insider adds that the meta quest pro isn't faring any best uh, any, any better a sleeker alternative to the meta quest 2 the quest pro launched this past october And despite predating the PlayStation VR 2 by four months, just 300,000 units have been sold, only 30,000 more than the PlayStation VR
1: 2's supposed figures. Wow, that is very surprising to me. You'd always expect like a VR that relies on PC or standalone is going to sell way more units than something that relies on like a console. Absolutely. So I think it's sort of, yeah, if if the numbers are uh, giving me
0: anything, it's that you know, VR has its like core group of fans who will just kind of keep playing it and buy all the new stuff regardless. Yeah. Um, and that the fan base isn't as big as it probably should be to survive on its own without, you know, without the technology, you know, changing enough and improving enough to sort of bring on the rest of the population, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, totally. So, Um, I think we talked about VR a little bit in our um, Metaverse episode.
1: Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Because, yeah, I feel like we we definitely had a big VR sesh at one time. And that's, Mm. like, one of my fears. Because, you know how last week you were like, man, we could do Nostalgia again. And I'm like, we totally good, but... I feel like I don't want to say the same thing. Oh, right. (laughs) You want to repeat yourself on accident?
0: Almost certainly would say that. Dude, I say the same thing every week. But this podcast is just the same. I just say the same thing over and over. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, yeah, that's the two bits of news. Um, Yeah. I kind of want to talk more about VR at some point because, um, yeah, I have a mate who just got into... um, working at the place that makes, uh, sh- what's that little VR
1: game with the little mouse? Oh mm. uh, no. Bro, you're killing me. Um, with the mouse? no, nah. <laughs> I can't, I can't help you with that Moss. information. Okay, Moss. Uh, Polyarch is the name of the studio.
0: Oh yeah. Um, yeah, so he just started working there on the sequel for that. And, um, one of the greatest video game animators perhaps one of the most well-known ones. His name is Richard Lico. Um, oh. He is one of the original animators on Moss and still works at Polyarch. He used to work um, at Bungie on Destiny 1. Um, oh, wow. And he's got a really famous demo reel and a uh, really famous animation technique that sort of changed the way a lot of people did, did work.
1: No um, shit.
0: Yeah. Very, very highly regarded and well-known and just a real nice dude. Um, and one of my mates, who was in Melbourne, who's just left Melbourne or is about to leave Melbourne again, uh, is working with with him on on Moss Two or some some Moss related um, content. Cool. So, so yeah, it is sort of semi adjacent to people that I n- know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, people who work in games have often worked on some
1: VR related thing at some point. And so, right. yeah. Anyway, just thought I'd touch on that. Yeah, yeah, for real. I mean, yeah, I'd love to hear you talk about more VR stuff, especially like if animation differs for VR or like, I don't know, I feel like when there's any kind of new technology when it comes to like video games or film, like (laughs) people have to take on more roles than they would have traditionally done if they were doing like the, the industry standard, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There's usually
0: some amount of like experts, or you know, like snake oil salesmen who are like, "Yeah, we know how to do this new thing." And right. so like people who do actually know how to do the- this new thing, and it's mostly, oftentimes, the same as the old thing, but with like <laughs>
1: small, small changes here and there. Um, yeah, totally. Anyway, do you want to hit me with that list? Yeah, bruh. All right. So, man. Um. Some incredible films came out last year. Every single film on my list is amazing and I would highly recommend it. Um, but I might just gloss over the films you haven't seen. And if you have seen them, maybe just perk up and then we'll talk about it briefly and then move okay. on. Sure. Sounds good. All right. Um, and I'm not going to spoil any of these just in case you haven't seen them. Uh, my number 10 is The Fablemans, which is the latest Spielberg film. Um, It's incredible, probably uh, Michelle Williams' best role that I've seen her in. Um, And it's really, like, emotional and personal because it's about, um, you know, it's kind of autobiographical. It's about a young filmmaker getting into film. Yes, I have heard about this. I've heard it's very good. Yeah, it's extremely good. Um, So, favorite ones, number 10. Number nine, The Northman by Robert Eggers. Oh, I really want to see The Northman. Oh, bruh. I mean, yeah, this is The Witch, The Lighthouse, yeah, and now The Northman. I love this guy, dude. Both of those movies, especially The Lighthouse, I've been, like, craving to watch again. Oh, dude. I think The Lighthouse is one of the best films made in the last 25 years. Like, it's yeah. it's just incredible. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, Northman is just... If you ever wanted to see, like an indie director get a way bigger budget and do an action film the northman is for you like it's so authentic and alex alexander skarsgård looks fucking beastly like (laughs) the shit i can't imagine what they did to his body like you know the stuff he had to eat and the workouts he had to do to get into that shape because it's honestly just fucked he looks Mm. so huge Mm um number eight is after sun which is just a beautiful film it was a debut from a scottish director called charlotte wells and uh yeah heart-wrenching beautiful movie after sun uh number seven is the batman did you see the batman no i did not i it is on
0: my list though it's like one of those ones on netflix or whatever where it's like continue watching because i watched like
1: three seconds of the start and i was like i had to go for something (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, I do want to watch the Batman, the Batman. I, I mean, three hour warning on this one, Um, but holy shit, it's sick. It's Robert Patterson. Okay. Uh, he's emo Batman. Yeah. I mean, it's just so fucking good. I, I had a ball and like, I watched it. I mean, I watched all of these movies at home, but like, it was definitely one of the movies where I was like, oh fuck, I wish I was at the cinema for this one. Mm-hmm uh number six we got triple r did you ever see that no i didn't i know you told me about triple r though and i know what it is and i've seen clips from it yeah i mean ss Rajamouli directed it and um remember i had that news piece ages ago that um ss Rajamouli was gonna be in kojima's next game and we didn't no know way. what it was <laughs> so he's gonna be <laughs> death Stranding too oh sick okay yeah yep. mad cameo um, also three hour warning that that film is also three hours, but it's Jesus. a lot of fun. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, number five, the third film that I got to give another three hour warning for, um, Babylon by Damien Chazelle. Um, so this is the director who did Whiplash and oh, yeah, nice. La-, La La Land Yeah and, um, man, this is just an incredible film, but I got to give like a trigger warning for like everything there's a trigger for. Yeah, right. It's about, yeah, it's it's about like Hollywood's debauchery in the 1920s and like it does not let up. (laughs) Like it just fucking, it kind of demonizes how fucked things were. And so it is insanely entertaining. Margot Robbie steals that fucking show. Um but yeah, just just a heads up, three hour like if you liked Boogie Nights and you liked Wolf of Wall Street, you you gotta see Babylon. Hell yeah. Uh number four, everything everywhere, all at once. Oh no. Nice. I mean yep. need need we say more. Um What do I got here? Number three, the Banshees of Inner Sharon. Oh, that's on the hard drive that you gave me. You you gotta see the banshees of Inasharon. Yeah. I mean <laughs> Um, the, the director's name is, uh, Martin McDonoghue, I think. And he also wrote and direct in Bruges, Oh um, which also has Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. Um, but yeah, they, they reunite like nearly 20 years later for this film and it's just, it's just the funniest fucking shit I saw all year. It's just amazing. Nice. Uh, number two is Tar. Oh, hell yeah. Dude, you love Tar that much. Bro, Tar yeah i i have man we could spend this whole podcast talking about tar. <laughs> i think i think it's one of the best character studies in a really long yeah. time yeah um yeah. like at least in, in movies i feel like better call Saul is like an incredible character study on television but as far as movies go like Tar, like, Tar is fucking up there, you know. I reckon Tar is up there with, like, Taxi Driver for oh that kind God. of, like, wow. in-depth character study shit. It's just... And, I mean, Cate Blanchett. Like, she's yeah. just... She's a freak, she's yeah. just a freak. <laughs> she's unstoppable in that role. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: I, I, speaking to you before, um, the pod started about Johnny, my boss, he, the way he experienced Tar was <laughs> this is the wankiest shit. He did, I don't, I still don't think he's seen it. Um, uh, because oh. he was really excited to see it, but rather than seeing the movie, for some reason, he read the screenplay oh yeah. yeah yeah okay so he hasn't actually seen it but he's read the screenplay and he's like yeah i get it <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> watch it just watch the damn movie oh my yeah.
1: god yeah i mean it's awesome how available scripts are now for movies that have already been made like yeah. you can just go to website and like read any script you want like i i read half of the matrix the other day yeah and also, that script is fucking insane. Like, mm. no wonder people talk that shit up. But, like, it's a very different experience. But uh, it's, it's pretty fun because, yeah. um, you know, when you read a script, like, I try and imagine I've been cast for one of the roles. Mm. And, like, when I'm reading the lines of Morpheus, I'm like, how did he do that? Like, yeah. how did he turn these words into that performance? It's just, like, some fucking talent that I obviously do not have at this stage in my life.
0: Yeah, I mean they're
1: they're professionals, right? Like that's what they do. It's their whole deal.
0: That's why they yeah. got famous for doing it. Um, but yeah, it's still amazing to to think about. Yeah, just another reason why you and Johnny would probably get along really well. I mean, <laughs> but you both read the screenplays or scripts from websites. It's just like yeah, you know, all right.
1: I don't, know, I don't know anyone else that does that. <laughs> like, it's just anyway. Continue. Tar was number uh- two. Tar was number two. My number one is uh, "Decision to Leave" by mm. Park Chan-wook. Who, um, if you don't recognize that name, he directed Old Boy all those years ago. Mm. Um, yeah, Korean director, and it's just it's just the fucking best. Like with this movie, they just had fun with everything. Like the performances are incredible, the editing, the cinematography, the way they tell the story, like, everything is stylized. and, like, I don't know, he's just been in the industry for so long and he's, like, it's only recently and probably thanks to Parasite that, like, Korean filmmaking has gotten into the limelight a little bit Mm. and this is his first film since there's been more attention um, to Korean filmmaking and it's just, like, it's just a masterpiece. Like it's just a straight five. Yeah. Wow. Hell yeah. I've never even heard of it. So uh, that's cool. That's awesome. I've written down every item on this list
0: and I'm going to go. Oh, watch them.
1: Oh my God. And yeah, I just thought it would be cool to, to mention because a lot of these are going to start coming to streaming platforms if they haven't already. So like they'll pop up, you'll maybe recognize the name and you can be like, Oh, I'm going to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah, Hell yeah, man. Thanks for the list. I love a list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was I was working hard on it for this other group, and since there was no news, I was like, eh, we'll just read we'll on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. I love uh, it. All right, dude. So kind of related. Yeah. What, uh, I see what, what you've do done you wanna... here. <laughs> 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 I
0: see how you've done this.
1: <laughs> uh, very
0: good. Um, yeah. So this week, the topic I'm bringing is... Um, Film versus games animation. Um, Hell hell yeah. So yeah, specifically like how working in both compares as I've worked in both. Um, Primarily I've worked in games as like like 90% of my time uh, as a professional, but um, I have worked a little bit in film. And so I wanted to sort of bring a little bit of illumination to the differences between the two um and maybe what each can learn from one another sort of like bringing it back to video games you know what could video games potentially stand to learn from film as far as animation is concerned and maybe a few other bits and pieces yeah um, that'd be awesome so yeah let's just dive in um Hell yeah before i do do you mind i'm just gonna go fill my water it's, it's just empty and i don't oh. want to. i'm gonna die if I, if I don't so i'll be back in a moment all right i'm back we're back baby The natural pause place and the natural (laughs) return place.
1: You know, I actually mentioned some of your animation film work the other night. Oh, Um, really? um, I was talking to Will about Terminator films and he mentioned that Terminator film. And I was like, I'm pretty sure Joe worked on that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My name's in the credits on that
0: one. I did work on that.
1: No shit. There you go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So maybe I should just talk about that briefly, I guess, is I had worked on a few different movies, um, obviously Terminator Dark Fate, I did Jumanji Next Level, I did Peter Rabbit 2, I think is what it was called. I don't think it had a little other bit of text in its name. Oh my um, god, no colon? No colon. Yeah, most of the movies I worked on had colons in them, which gives you, <laughs> gives you an idea about what sort of movies uh, were getting made around that time. I mean, that's um, just the state of the world. Yeah, colons everywhere. Um, I worked on a Chinese television production called Feng Sheng, um, which I don't think I ever saw the release of. I don't even know if it ever came out, but I was working on it while I was there. Right. Um, I worked briefly on Witches. Um, the, Witches. yeah, this was, uh, the Roald Dahl, um, movie oh. adaptation that was live action. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, actually the original was live action too, but I don't think it was called Witches. Although maybe it was, I don't remember. Do you remember? There was, there was an original one that had, like, mice running around a compound or, like, a presentation that some witches were giving at the start of the movie.
1: Mm, yeah, no, it's not ringing any bells. Okay. And I, I, I think you're right, though. I think the, the book also has a different name, but I'd, we're, we're outside of my wheelhouse right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, in any case, I worked briefly on that.
0: Um, and think think that was it there's probably one more um oh i worked very briefly on uh, mortal combat but I, I was i wasn't working on production i was working on testing and like testing the character testing the rigs they did a lot of goro um for that movie at the place that
1: i worked yeah so, i remember you talking about that
0: yeah yeah so that was pretty cool pretty fun um i did a lot of chickens most of the time that i was working <laughs> in film
1: i, I did chickens uh, wait wait what you animated chickens yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> five for real chickens was
0: I, I was seven months in movies and I'm gonna say five of those months were dedicated to chickens
1: <laughs> how many how many chickens are there in that Terminator movie
0: not many in Terminator uh, or and also Jumanji, but a lot of the like actual animation like stuff on screen that I ended up doing was chicken related there was uh, in Peter <laughs> Rabbit 2. Um, there was okay. a lot of a lot of chickens that we did. Um, okay, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um, I maybe it maybe not. What did I say? 70%, maybe it was maybe it's more like 40, but um yeah, it was I just remember doing heaps of chicken tests. Um, and we did the blimp at the end of ter- um Jumanji and for Terminator, I did like one or two shots, one with a drone and one with Sarah Connor running in the background. Oh really- that's
1: fucking sick.
0: Uh, you say this, but she was in the, in the the behind a layer of fog and, in, and shrouded in darkness, and you could barely see she was there.
1: <laughs> no.
0: And let's not forget Spiders 3D. Oh, yeah, that was before... Yeah, when I was at Method. That was, like, right at the start of my career. I did Spiders 3D. I can't, we can't forget Spiders 3D.
1: <laughs> Never forget it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I spoke about that on my birthday. I was telling my friend Mikey at work that I worked on this terrible B-movie called Spiders 3D. Um, oh, I also worked on a movie called Lava Lantula. So spiders oh. all around.
1: Yeah, that's right. You were, you were the spider guy. You I was the spider guy. Friend of the arachnid. Yeah. Friend. I still love spiders, but I'd rather not animate any more of them.
0: So many legs. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, so those are some of the, the movies that I worked on. Um, a lot of the games that I've worked on have all been like indie, indie stuff. So I did like Paperbark and Necrobarista Um, I worked a little bit on what was, um, chorus is now stray gods. Mm -hmm. I worked a little bit on the artful escape. Um, it's probably a few other ones in there somewhere. Seems as though I've worked more on film than I have in games, but like seven years of games and like seven months of film. Wow. I mean, how about that turnaround time? Yeah, exactly. It gives you some idea about the state of things and comparing the two. Um, yeah, just a lot of stuff was going on at Method at that time. They had a lot of projects and crunching a lot. Um, whereas games is usually like, we're just going to do one thing for a while. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna... oh, uh, Puzzle Quest 3, I worked on that as well. Um, yeah, right some really old games as well that I, like when I first got on into animation as a job, I worked on like monster high new ghoul in school for PlayStation (laughs) three and um, yeah. And Barbie's puppy rescue. Um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Really, really old games. But, um, wow. Yeah. That was when I was at Taurus, which I don't even know if Taurus is still around, but they're a Melbourne studio that they used to do like game boy games. That's how old they are whoa yeah there you go there you go all the way back um so yeah i've I've had a little bit of a hand in a couple of different things and so i feel like i have some level of um knowledge to offer to the differences between like working in both and so that's what the topic is about
1: hell yeah yeah i'm i mean i'm here for the ted talk all right strap in for
0: the ted talk here comes here comes (laughs) ted um (laughs)
1: yeah who the fuck is ted is ted an
0: acronym i think it is i think it is it's capitals (laughs) hey google who is ted
1: (laughs) oh my god
0: so yeah i basically got a a note uh in my in my notes thing with a bunch of different topics and headlines and um little answers and so i'm just gonna sort of read through it and we're gonna do this the scattershot note way that i like to do, do stuff
1: absolutely let's go
0: All right. So in, in the end, like the end product for both film and games, um, you know, regardless of what you're doing in them, end up being kind of the same product, right? It's like a flat image on a screen somewhere at some time. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, even like 3d movies are still projected flat on a screen. You know, you put the glasses on and that's the only difference. It's still, it's still a screen. It's still flat. It's an image. There it is. Yeah. Um, and so that was one of the things that I wanted to like start with as like, you know, we're all sort of working to the same goal, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But the way that we're getting there is kind of different in a whole slew of different ways. So what are the main different points um, with regards specifically to animation and also a little bit broadly? Um, when I started working in film, the the number one thing that stood out to me as like a difference was the pipeline. And so the pipeline mm-hmm. is sort of like the process by which assets move through a production and end up on that flat 2d screen right yeah um so in in film the pipeline is like at least method was like really um like watertight there was no room for error um the Mm -hmm. thing had been like crafted within an inch within an inch of its life um (laughs) and so like you would get something you know in the system which someone had made at some point you would grab it and animate it and then send it on to the next person using that same system. Like there was no like, oh, I'll just email you this file or like, Hey, you know, I've made a Google drive. Here's a link to something. It was all super locked in. Um, and everything right. was already sort of taken care of. There was no like misstepping You could, because they basically like ruled out all opportunity to, to misstep. Uh,
1: right. By this and, process. And, and this is also the place where like security was, was quite high right for the material you were dealing with
0: yeah yeah it was um yeah so a a lot of films really care a lot like the what would you call them the places that make the films like the owner of the properties usually often care a lot about the secrets of the you know what's going to happen in the movie not leaking before the movie actually comes out they care a great deal about that yeah um and so yeah as a result most film studio production places like method for example i don't think it's even called method anymore but we're just going to call it method for now um have extreme security so it's like you need a pass to get into the building you need a pass to get through the front door you need a pass to get into like the actual production room where you work it's like the same, right. it's the same key. <clears throat> I think it was the same key, but uh, you just need, there's like the, that many points of security. And then obviously you need to like log in and use your password and all that sort of stuff. Oh no shit. So through COVID, I don't know exactly what they did to help with that level of security because they obviously had heaps of people working from like their home machines and like, you know, remoting into various PCs at the office because they can't expect everyone to have like the style or the speed of machine that they have at the office just at their house. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of remoting i don't know exactly how they handled security it would have been a huge deal um yeah. but I, I wasn't there during that time um whereas games at least the games that i've worked on are usually you know they're in some shared office space somewhere um there's no there's like one lock on the door <laughs> and then you're, then you're in the studio proper sometimes they don't have a um a foyer or anything like that it's like you walk in the front door and you can immediately see screens with um material on them so right yeah i think it's also just like size and um scope of some of these studios they're a lot smaller than potentially riot which i've been to as well which is a lot more like a film studio where there's like all sort of segmented buildings and you can't actually get into the areas where production is happening um on, on on unannounced things it's like it's very locked away so yeah it's not to say that there aren't you know similarities for some of the bigger film studios or game studios, but the ones that I typically have worked in and found myself in, I feel like most people find themselves in, um, aren't as strict on security. And also the pipeline is also way different in games. Um, mm. In my experience, it's way more loose. So there's like, you know, a, a sort of a notion of a pipeline that happens where it's like, here's the general flow of assets that most people have an understanding of in their mind. And then the way that the assets get port- ported around changes, um, depending on the needs and like the style of production of the particular studio that you happen to be working at. And so it's not like, right. yeah, it's, there's not like, uh, you know, a pipeline, um, program or whatever the sort of thing that method had at every studio it's like yeah we just share files on this repository here or we just share files on this google drive or this dropbox or whatever it is most of them don't have that level of security but so some of them are more like yeah we're just like you know have this usb driver <laughs> you know it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's way more
1: fast and loose um than yeah. than film um yeah right i mean so does that result in a better working environment in your opinion Oh, that's an interesting question. Um,
0: I don't know. I think there's definitely stuff that games can learn from that kind of like highly regimented pipeline where there's like Mm -hmm. less room for error. If there's error, it tends to mean that, you know, stuff, time gets blown out because you're fixing things. And so like if there was less of a chance of that to happen, then you could potentially, you know, save some time. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll talk about time a little bit later as well because I think the stuff that film has to learn from games when it comes to use of time... Um but yeah in terms of like enjoyability I'd say maybe games is a little bit less oh sorry more enjoyable just because it's like you have access to the internet on your computer and stuff like that.
1: Oh <laughs> like, nice
0: shit. Yeah. Yeah right. fact, the method was like you could use like their web browser that they gave you but it was like heavily monitored and you couldn't download files and um it would run really slowly. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. Very hard to get stuff in or out of that building. Hmm. Um so yeah um next is like asset use so in games you'll find yourself like or at least in my experience all of this is in
1: my experience let's just sort of caveat that i guess yeah this is um, cool we're here we're here for the joe lowdown not like yeah. the objective the objective lowdown yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: let's, just, let's just put that out there um yeah that the sorts of stuff that you'll be handling in film is usually just like here is your they call it the plate which is just like the image sequence that happens to be playing behind the animation that you're doing Mm -hmm. um the part in the sequence that you are in the surrounding shots of that of that particular shot that you're working on so you know you get like five shots on one side five shots in the other to get an idea of context and like here is your character rig go forth and animate the shot please Um, so you just, yeah, you don't, you don't really get access to a great deal of different materials in your day to day. It's just like the character rig and maybe some video and that's kind of it. Right. Whereas in games, um, it's like you, depending on your role, you'll touch a whole bunch of different stuff. You'll be in like the game engine for a starter, which is just like a flood of different types of assets, you know, sounds, levels, models, um, sequence related things, um, character rigs, all sorts of different stuff, as well Mm -hmm. as the sort of same style of things that you would get from film, you know, like maybe a piece of reference and like a character rig to do some animation on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there's the, you know, those two asset use or type, um,
1: differences. Um, right. So do you feel that you need a larger skill skill set, sorry, for video games just because I mean straight off the bat, you're already dealing with something outside of animation, yeah. in that you're in an engine rather than you've just got a rig and like, uh, you know, video references
0: yeah i think it's kind of it depends on what you're working on and where you are like i've I've worked on some games where it's like i don't need to be in the engine or like i've freelanced for places where they're like we just need the animation assets right okay. so like you don't get to touch or you know don't have to touch that part of the production but i just think like if you find yourself in the industry for long enough you'll kind of end up there at some point um mm. whereas in film i can see myself you know not ever having to learn how to use nuke as proficiently as i would have to, you know learn how to use unreal for games for example
1: uh, right yeah, or yeah, like,
0: yeah. You know, pick up some other part of production as as efficiently as i need to figure out how to you know do animation tooling inside of engine yeah um, okay so yeah there's that part as well um hmm. that sort of leads me on a little bit to like the technical know-how um i think there's like shared uh, a shared amount of technical stuff that you need to know between both games and film just with like how to use the animation software and you know the ins and outs of what types of files there are and also sort of you know banal obvious stuff sure um but yeah like i was saying like in terms of games the animator tends to do a lot more technical stuff and so like has a different understanding of the way that the animation ends up on the screen like in movies it's like anything that you that you see on the screen is usually how it's going to end up on the final screen you know like your animation is like indicative of the way it's supposed to look in the end you know even with all the extra layers of you know gloss and fog and static or whatever that sits on top of it all the compositing uh, and music is it ends up looking as you animated it whereas in games it's like you know any animation could have any other animation blending in or out of it um different layering of different things you know like if you do a sword swing that's layered over the top of a run animation for example like these things don't live in isolation they're often animated with that in mind and so it's a very different sort of um yeah technical ability to know what you're supposed to be dealing with um compared to movies where it's yeah like i said it's just like you create the thing that goes on the
1: screen that's it (laughs) right i gotta say so far like what you've dealt with in video games like the breadth of the thing seems so much deeper than than with movies yeah
0: yeah definitely i mean maybe it would be cool to chat to some like more seasoned movie animators to see if they end up doing other parts of production as well. Um just, right, just to yeah. sort of see if that's just my experience or not. But um from what i've seen there's yeah, not not a great deal of that. In any case, um yeah, i think like cinematics and cutscenes animation is like way closer to what movie animation is. Um right. I think like m- cutscenes and um cinematics have a lot to learn from movies like oftentimes it'll be just like on the creative director or on the animator themselves to like come up with the composition for a shot and the edit. Wow, um, really? Yeah. Where, whereas in movies, you know, you've got like the cinematographer and, and, and like a person who's an editor, like a, di- a, di- a specific um, discipline that has dedicated their life's work to doing that one specific thing, which is edit um right and games it it tends to at least in my experience the smaller games um like i said the caveat before it seems as though that doesn't happen as much um you know you don't typically have a a cinematographer in a a small game
1: studio yeah which i mean is incredibly logical yeah (laughs) like the budget can't be going towards that shit when like you know the the basis of the game needs to be developed <laughs> yeah exactly um which
0: sort of leads me to my next point it's funny how these things all link up production <laughs> <laughs> production size um yeah look there was like three stories or two stories at method um of of people making these movies and that's just one of the visual effects houses that a lot of these movies would often employ to do their visual effects like mm-hmm. there would be you know 10 or 15 different visual effects houses doing Terminator Dark Fate and they would all have their own workflows and pipelines and assets and all that sort of stuff they get access to like the source stuff I suppose um mm-hmm. but yeah that's just like in terms of scale there's just like millions or you know close to millions of people working on these productions um and they all need to slot together somehow to help make this movie come out on time and it's like a huge complicated many moving pieces machine far more complicated Mm -hmm. than any car or microwave Um, i don't know why the microwave came to mind but there you go (laughs) that's a great line it's like, a, it's like a watch nested within a watch nested within a watch, you know? There's just, like, all mm. of these little bits and pieces spinning around. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, yeah, whereas games, you know, you can have, like, a publisher who may be the one who's, like, giving some direction or, like, paying some money or, you know, offering some help when it comes to marketing, and they've got their own departments. But the size of the teams is often way, way smaller. Like, the developers mm. are kind of... It's not like you have you know, like a, a film studio with an idea for a film or like a script or like talent attached to whatever. And they're like, Oh, we're going to get five different game studios to help us make this. No, it's like one, one game studio is usually responsible for the release of one game. Not mm-hmm. like it's all teaming up together, which is kind of another thing that potentially video game companies, once they start of sort of start aging in a similar way that film was done, maybe they could work together on,
1: on games. Um, but I, it's mm-hmm. hard, it's hard to see how that would go yeah yeah I mean that's that's where I think the size of the project really differ in the biggest mm. way right like especially with your experience like a lot of the movies that you've worked on have been multi-million dollar blockbuster movies. Mm. Um, And like the chance of you even meeting someone who was on set for a single day is pretty low and you're working on the project as like your full time job at the time. Um totally. compared, to, compared to like a video game studio that you've worked at where like you get to speak with the director every single day and like you've got a much better idea of like how the project is tracking and like what is coming down the pipeline and like it, it just feels a little bit more holistic than the way you've described films as this kind of warren where everyone is in their like little tunnel and they don't get to <laughs> see outside of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I it's it sort of, I agree. It, it does. In, in looking at it from that perspective, it does make sense as the as to why everyone's in their little Warren. You know, like mm. if everyone were to wander out of their Warren um, and start <laughs> screaming, um, it would it would get noisy fast. Whereas in games, when there's like you know three little Warrens and everyone comes out and starts screaming, it's not that
1: loud. Um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know why. I, I, yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> no the metaphors are thick and fast I'm yeah like... they're good
0: um so yeah there's a lot there you know um production size is a really interesting aspect to it and and how potentially um there's more creative stuff to be had from games just as a result of that um mm-hmm. is is good i think a, a, a mm-hmm. tick for games yeah Yes. Yeah, see um So, oh man, I'm running out of time here. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to blast through some stuff, some notes here, and maybe we'll try and linger on stuff that sounds interesting and cool. Yeah, blast me, home source. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I've got here, what is transferable? Um, You know, like if you are going from... A games job into a film job or a film job into a games job like what goes with you and what can you sort of take um so yeah. some skills like actual creating of the animation itself is fundamentally the same set sort of commands procedures and stuff as as far as the creative is concerned you know you use you most of the time using the same software or software that is fundamentally extremely similar to the software that you have been using in the past and mm-hmm. so um yeah there's very little that you, it's like new things to learn a lot of the technique I mean a lot of the stuff that is new to learn is like technical so you know with regards to the pipeline method there is like technical aspects to that and with regards to games there's like engines and their own workflows that they have different engines have their own th- things going on as well um which is which is uh something that needs to be learned um really? that and that may not be transferable from one game to the other even you know like some companies like Crytek or um what's that one Sledgehammer they use their own game proprietary game engines which Mm. if you know if you've never worked there before obviously you have no idea how they work and so yeah that even even just moving between studios can be a technical task um right but yeah like I said the actual creative part the part where you're making the stuff move around is fundamentally the same Hmm. um there are aspects to it like in games like i was saying how like you know so you'll need to know that this particular run cycle will have laid arms on top of it when the character's swinging their sword for example um that aspect of it is is kind of like makes a slight dent in that like you know quote unquote fundamentally the same set of commands part um but i feel like it's less of a challenge to understand than say you know learning a whole new game engine
1: Right, I see, yeah. Um,
0: Because as an animator, you can kind of understand how these things would look in your mind, I guess. Uh, Maybe, maybe. Um, (laughs) The other things, problem solving remains the same. You know, there's a lot of problem solving that happens between both film and games. Mm -hmm. Um, Personal skills, obviously, seems obvious, but I think that is a really valuable thing that comes across. Knowing how to work with people on your team and people across the company, Uh, Mm -hmm. just, just chatting with them is something that is really... Useful and transferable. Um, yeah, it's not just that, like the social part, but it's also like knowing
1: when to ask for help and knowing who to ask for help. Right. That goes for like any project. Yeah. I feel like that kind of, um, you know, that water cooler talk can mm-hmm. turn out to be really valuable um, between certain people. Totally. Yeah. It's, and it's making sure that happens as well, which is, and knowing when it should happen
0: is pretty important. Totally. Um, yeah. Uh, I had a thing I was going to say here Um, never mind moving along uh, (laughs) um, let's see here I sort of mentioned a little bit of that before we'll skip past that um so yeah what can be learned um between you know coming from oh I remember what it was so when they hired me at method they like bargained me down they were like oh you know you haven't worked in movies before so we'll put you on a junior wage and I was like eh, all right um because mm-hmm. I really needed a job at the time
1: mm-hmm.
0: whereas if it was now and I, you know, I didn't need a job at the time I would be like ha no no, no. I,
1: <laughs>
0: I have transferable skills you know like this is not my first go at the rodeo it's um stuff here that i that i bring to the table that isn't junior um at all right right and so yeah if i could go back
1: and tell myself that then i would i mean yeah that's the lame thing about how slow confidence is to build yeah like you have the skills but you just can't talk about them for some reason (laughs) yeah
0: yeah yeah is it uh, yeah that's a whole thing as well you know like knowing where you're at with your skill level is really mm. hard thing to do sometimes, just because of the way that people are paid and how self worth is evaluated and comparison and all that sort of stuff. It's a really challenge, challenging yeah. thing. Um, so yeah, I think like things that movies can learn from games is like being flexible in, um, in like r- runtime visuals. And I think they're getting there a little bit with this. And what I mean by runtime visuals is like. In a game engine, when you're like looking around, or even when you just press play, that's what you see. You know, that's what the that's what the end user is going to see. Um, whereas in in film, it's like it's going to take us you know like a week to get this through the render farm it's then going to have to be like edited and composited and whatever it's going to take a little while for before we see the final thing Mm. um so what you're looking at when you're like animating is like so far removed um in terms of like final image picture i mean the motion is still going to be there but Mm. the final like look of the thing is so far removed from what what you're going to eventually get um so Game engines are starting to be used a lot more in film studios these days just because of that runtime production aspect.
1: Oh, no nice um, shit.
0: Production houses that worked on shows like The Mandalorian, and this one gets brought up a lot, are using Unreal um, and like live lighting stages. I can't remember what they're called, but they're basically like a big wall of LEDs um, and they run a game engine on those LEDs and use the real time lighting that's happening in Unreal to light the characters in real time, like their actual characters are stand, standing on the sound stage in front of the LED screen. Right. Um, and so that's the way to get real time lighting. But you can also use the Unreal engine and other game engines to do similar things just with production, you know, seeing what an animation looks like in context with lighting with shadows. Um, mm-hmm and film grade and all that sort of stuff is really useful. And you don't have to use much imagination when showing you know, the director what they're looking at. Uh, right. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot that can be pulled
1: over from games, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Especially when it comes to technology, because mm-hmm. like James Cameron and like John Favreau with the Mandalorian, like he, that, they are kind of pioneers when it comes to like trialing new technology to get the actors more immersed in the scene. Yeah. like I know that for the first avatar and it's probably been improved for like the other couple that are that are coming down the pipeline but um he made this camera that allowed the actors to look at a screen while they were on set and see like their blue avatar body oh cool and, yeah and like that apparently is just like a really big game changer when you're like you know, in a mocap suit and you're trying to get in character and there's just like basically so much in your environment pulling you away from the character that that kind of stuff yeah. can be really helpful.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, it's if, if there's ways that we can use um, real-time stuff, like engine stuff, to help give actors or people who are there making the original work a way to um, be more in- invested and more like Present with their character, mm-hmm. then even even better. I was looking at a thing the other day on YouTube. Like Jim Henson is doing a lot of like digital puppetry these days, which is pretty cool. Wow, um, is Jim Henson still alive? The company that makes the Jim Henson stuff, I don't know if Jim himself, I think Jim's dead, but he's like yeah. his son or his grandson or whatever is um is heading up the company and still looking
1: right. digital
0: puppetry. Yeah, Adam Savage and his YouTube channel um, went to visit them and look at the the digital puppetry going on. And yeah, they're using Unreal Engine, which is pretty cool. No shit. Um, yeah they're basically like live recording the the puppets as they're saying the lines it's pretty awesome Um, that's a whole other thing that you could get into as well with um, the next point that I've got here uh, which is often um, movies have this or production in movies has this ability to sort of go around and around and around chasing its tail in the pursuit of perfection Mm -hmm. Um, whereas often close enough is good enough (laughs) <laughs> not all it, but you don't have to spend you know like weeks getting this you know one second shot to look just perfect you can sort of get close enough and it's gonna be fine um yeah i find in games it's like the way that you sort of get a game off the ground is you use a bunch of like temp assets and they call it gray boxing there's even a word for it gray boxing where you right. like you know block out a level and, and show the general idea of the flow of things before you're you know, signed off on full production and then you can start putting all the polish and bells and whistles on. Whereas, um, I mean, movies has, um, uh, what are they called? Animatics.
1: Like storyboarding.
0: Yeah. Animatics are like moving storyboards. Um, right, 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 right. And there's even like pre-production houses that are dedicated to showing what the movie will look like before it actually goes into final production. Um, nice shit. yeah, but I, I think like pre-production houses are kind of slowly becoming full service production houses because that's how good mm. some of the pre-production is starting to look mm-hmm. um, wow and so yeah it's it's sort of like they've burned themselves a little bit with this whole like you know being the perfectionist thing is like that's your whole thing but it, a lot of the time that's great but some of the time you don't need to spend a whole heap of time like for example one of the shots that uh i think i was working on on terminator was this like close up of a drone before it like flies down and bomb some people or something um <laughs> yeah and there was like all these controls on the um lens of the camera that the drone is like using to spy on these people with um and like you know it was like rotating the camera around on the gimbal and like little focus blades were moving and little beeps and boops with all the stuff inside the lens Sick. and then like you'd get the render back and it would be like oh yeah yeah this is at night behind a cloud and uh, <laughs> there's actual like not semi not fully transparent glass on top of that camera and so you can barely see in there you know and it's like a two second shot and we're like spending weeks and weeks you know and it's the same thing with Sarah Connor running in the background it's like yeah yeah make it look good or whatever but we don't need to like go over this (laughs) like it doesn't need this you know like objectively I know at a certain point I'm like okay it's fine if they want to like polish a specific thing that has Mm -hmm. high value um and I think yeah, video games in particular is like, hey, what is this actually giving player experience? Um, mm-hmm. and they're they're able to sort of like, you know, quantify that a little bit better than movies, which I feel tend to get lost in the in the guff, lost in the source.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like I mean, movies. I think it's getting better today, but like movies for the longest time just have so many horror stories because like there is no kind of basic production blueprint, mm. like one of the reasons why I think Parasite is so incredible is that every single shot in that entire film was hand-drawn by the director. And that's like one of a handful of films where that has ever happened in the history of filmmaking. And it's just like... You know, producers will require all kinds of different kind of ticks from a box to be able to be like, all right, yeah, this is worth funding. We're going to fund the fuck out of this. Let's go. But, like, it seems like it's just still the fucking Wild West. Like, if you're a well-known director, then you get to do whatever you want, but, like, not always. You know, like, Scorsese couldn't get funding for The Irishman. You know, he was shopping around for years and, like, you know the irishman is neither here nor there but like (laughs) scorsese has a pretty huge imprint on the film industry and like it's yeah it just kind of is a bit bizarre to me just hearing you talk about video games over the last year and like even before that how similar the production process for the games you work on are and i mean like you say you've got this technique called grey boxing which is like an industry standard and it's just for, for me being an outsider and not having worked in the film industry i just look at a lot of film horror stories and i'm like why doesn't someone just try to establish something um, yeah and i know that happens with directors like wes anderson has like an established production style um and and so do other directors but it's just weird to me how it's basically up to this one person and their <laughs> whims to decide how any one project is going to go and yeah. it could be completely different from the last project
0: yeah totally yeah it it, it also seems like there's just like an, a, a lack of um perspective you know like even if you do have um like a quality person looking after the actual production schedules and all that sort of stuff, mm. um, or a quality team of producers, there still needs to be someone. And I am glad that there are producers out there that are doing it, or I'm not producers or directors and stuff that are doing this there. It's like, you know, this shot actually is only going to be a second long and it's actually potentially on the cutting room floor is like, you know, stuff that we might, we might cut. We don't need to spend mm. another $4 million of this in production time you know like we right, actually can right. stand to like leave it where it is and then if it does if it ends up back in the movie then we can p- p- potentially rework stuff if it needs it but right now dude let's we have better stuff to move on to like let's go <laughs> why are we here why are we animating the same rope from jumanji for four weeks like it doesn't need to happen
1: <laughs> Oh my
0: god! You know? and i've spoken with like visual effects supervisors about this and they're like we know
1: we know but we're middle management and we're making big bucks so shut the fuck up (laughs) yeah yeah man it's crazy
0: they're just it's i mean it's not crazy it's obvious that they would be aware of it but it's just like still startling to hear them say it out loud you know Mm, um yeah and so yeah i think that is probably the main thing that that i hope movies over the next little while can pull from games as far, as far as production is concerned i know that i'm so, like games like the last of us 2 i feel like had would have had a similar level of uh, attention to detail paid to a lot of different stuff um mm. you know really spending like weeks and months on the one short cutscene scene with one animator or two animators really making sure that the performance is captured perfectly um you know like you'll see like an animators demo reel from their four years of working on the last of us and it's like here's the two shots i made you know like <laughs> it's, it's that kind of thing yeah um, where like yeah they, they just really drill hard on this one thing just to get that level of quality up um so but then that's not that's not the case everywhere obviously but yeah that's maybe an, an analogous example um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so yeah um I think we, we could probably pull a little bit from games, I mean, sorry, from movies uh, with their pipelines being more rigorous and airtight. Mm. And um, I wish that we would pay more attention to stuff like edit uh, and writing. I think there's, like, mm. room to improve, big room to improve, and, like, a lot of meat is left on bones in, in terms of storytelling in, in certain games, I think, or in some sure. examples. Like, you know, you just... I, I feel like a lot of it is, like, left out or you know glazed over in favor of the fun factor um whereas i think you know you could potentially take a take a uh, page out of films book and and explore for a while you know what actually is going on with this character or with this location or with this theme um Mm. instead of just being like yeah now now go kill these mans like go fight these draugas and solve another four pointless puzzles to get a piece of gear that you're not going to use you know like (laughs) game this one the bafta for the best story anyway (laughs) um
1: (laughs) yeah so that's all i got to say that was great that was so good i (laughs) love the joe ted talks they're some of my favorite episodes hell yeah I like doing them. I feel like I talk a lot in them, but
0: that's maybe a good thing. i got to get out it of is. my bubble, say some more it things.
1: Is. Yeah, it's a great thing. I love those takes. Hell yeah, man. All right. We, uh, we ready that's, to wrap it up? That's it. We're wrapping. Final day of shooting. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll catch you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.